I what's really funny is the uh, 125, the second half of it. Mm-hmm. I read when I was a kid as a reprint in a UK comic. Oh wow! And really, I I think really really soon we're heading into like maybe the first or second Fantastic Four comic I ever read. Wow! Uh, which is when they had is he called Darkon or something? Because mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's definitely it's definitely Bissama and Senate, but I think Marv Wolfman write, is writing it. Oh wow, really? Um, but I feel that's really close. I feel that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. Looking ahead to see what the covers are. See if there's anything. Right. It's definitely like we're going to be hitting the Conway stuff. Yeah, soon. I want to say it's like one thirty-five. Even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And ex- oh, right, exactly. Yeah, and that stuff that I read as a kid, stuff where I was actually somewhat more cognizant. I had read issue. One, I bought somehow and read issues 120 and 124, like as back issues at a comic book store when I was a kid. And so I was like, oh, I can afford these. I'll buy them. And and never read the following issues and never wanted to. But I, <laughs> Well, kind of a little bit because in a way, and I didn't talk about it on the podcast, but that scene where Reed's, uh, Sue's like, oh, my God, I'm drowning to death and it's the end of the issue. And she's like looking out at the panel – you know, essentially screaming was a little too intense for me as a kid. I was a little bit like, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's a very intense scene because she mm-hmm. does her whole, I'll never see my baby again. But yes. Really, really just feels a bit dark. Yeah. Like yeah. genuinely feels like, Oh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. And then they repeat it exactly the next issue. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. Still, still, although it's, it's somehow <laughs> less scary than next issue. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I guess maybe it's because often, it even is though it's exactly the same scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the the end of that issue is kind of like ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, I was just like ah, and then again the other one where it's Gabriel blowing his horn and it's the end of the world and and like again as a little kid, it, which is really the only way at which any of the logic would ever make sense. It was just like what you know so yeah both of those i did not <coughs> follow up on reading them here was really strange uh because there were those moments of like oh i can really like i can i can feel the weird sense of awe that i felt as a kid seeing those pages but that awe was tempered from that idea of like this is a little too scary for me you know, yeah. <laughs> I got to go to something that's a little more Sal Basima, the defenders, you know, and like I said, I, these must've been back issues because that I must've bought while I was still relatively young because they are, they come earlier than some of the other issues that I had when I was a kid that I was just, I wasn't even capable of reading. I was just cutting up the pages yeah. and stuff. You know, no, I, 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 I remember like there was a British rep- oh. I want to say weekly, but that can't be right. Mm-hmm. Called the Complete Fantastic Four. Wow! That would unusually for a British comic mm-hmm. reprint an entire issue of the American comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, it, that is really unlikely. Yeah. Huh. Um, and they obviously like they couldn't have kept up with it because they must have caught up eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was uh, I got this thing called the Marvel Collection when I was. I've got to be like four or five mm-hmm. on vacation. And it was a clearly like looking back on it, it was clearly uh we have all these copies that have been re- returned to us as unsold. We will bind them up wow. in a collection. And so it was two, co- two issues of the complete fantastic four, non-sequential. Mm-hmm. Uh, God damn. <laughs> two, two non-sequential issues of the British star Wars comic. Uh-huh. 
uh, an issue of Rampage, which reprinted uh, the Defenders issue that came after the De- Avengers Defenders War. Wow. So to go back in time for the, the Black Knight. Mm-hmm. And something else, and I can't think what the other thing was. Um, but I read those, like, as, and I had that book for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was, like, my Marvel entry point. And I can imagine. And it's also, I, there are times, like, I swear to God, it's one of those weirdo uh, lessons that <laughs> we need to learn, is we're always talking about having, like, clear entry points and jumping on points, and that's why we don't have new readers. But so many of us that got hooked on comics really were just thrown into the deep end of the pool. I mean, you had this massive compilation of stuff that sounds great, but also was completely so oh, haphazardly like, so assembled. Part, part th- you know, part three of a four-part story or something, and yeah. you get the backstory or the conclusion. Right. And I was still like, what is this? This is great. Well, see, and that's it. It's sort of like, this is great. But there was also, I think, an element of like, what is this? Like, literally... There's something about the it seeming so much bigger than you that it's kind of it kind of absorbs you. And so one of the things that does make me sad is the idea that you know someone's going to listen to this episode of the podcast, hearing us just completely trash talk this stuff, and it's going to be their favorite issues, you know, because it really is going to be the sense of like oh the, you know the mystery or the majesty or just that sort of thing of like when you're a kid and you're so absorbed. You know, it, like you said, the, the idea that it feels longer than 20 pages, like some, somebody read these and loved these because the issues were just so jammed with action, you know, they, they were practically dizzy afterwards, you know? And, uh, so yeah, it's, (laughs) whoo, it, it, that being said, I, I, I may want to encourage you to consider having this part of it, of us talking about, I was going to say like, maybe we should just like chop this out and I'd like add the episode or maybe just stick up in the Patreon for Patreon supporters. I was going to say that, cause I didn't know if you had a cold open yet. I was going to say that it might make for a good little cold open. Um, That's what we'll do. There we go. See? So <laughs> you're like that <laughs> intro music. <laughs> Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building episode 15. And yes, I did have to look up the number. <laughs> I'm like, we're past 12 because we've done it for a year. What episode is it? Oh, it's 15. Uh, I am Graham McMillan, one of your uh, hosts for this episode, the more forgetful, sleepier host. And with me, as always, is... Jeff Lester, who is trying his best to vie for uh, most forgetful in this particular episode. So we'll see how things go. It's I feel very positive about my prospects, Graham, I have to say. Oh, it's a good contest then. Okay, it's on. Uh, this, <laughs> this episode, we are going to talk about uh, issues 119 to 126 of the Fantastic Four, published by Marvel Comics, overseen and in part written by Stan Lee, and kind of terrible. <laughs> I, I, let, let's just get that out of the way right now. Um, we have gone through 
the Stanley and Jack Kirby days, which were great, and then they weren't so great. But, you know, we've gone through the John Romita days, which were not great. We've gone through John Buscema coming on, and it, things kind of turned around almost. It was like Archie the Goodman OK days. Archie Goodman came on, and we were like, hey! Yes, totally. Um, and then Archie Goodman is gone already. Mm-hmm. Archie Goodman doesn't write any of these issues. No. Uh, we are bookending it, starting and finishing with Roy Thomas written issues. And in between is the return of Stan Lee. And if you were like, great, Stan Lee, the co-creator of the Fantastic Four is coming back. Everything's going to be on an upswing. You're wrong. <laughs> uh, we were, let's just get started, Jeff, because we were about to go into this. Yes. Uh, Fantastic Four 119 with a brand new logo on the front. It's called Three Stood Together, but the little pre-credit thing is The Fabulous FF Battle for the Earth and for the Soul of Man. <laughs> I have to say, I got so excited when I read that little subhead. I'm like, oh, it's, will, will Graham deign to read that out loud? Well, the best thing is, so you've got that subhead, you've got the title, right? Mm-hmm. And I read through the issue without reading the credits. And I got then this issue and I was like, that's the Stan Lee-iest Stan comic in the world. <laughs> and it's written by Roy Thomas. <laughs> right, which really says a lot about the tone uh, of of what Thomas is, is going for in some ways. Because I, I, I don't know, it, oh, it's, it's probably it's, more appropriate. It's classic Stan Lee preachy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, it really is the ultimate preachy Stan Lee comic that just happens not to be written by Stan Lee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I... It, it's it's amazing. Uh, this is also, fun fact fans, uh, the comic, maybe the only comic, where uh, the Black Panthers renamed the Black Leopard. Oh, man. It was it was the best. And let, let's just say, I mean, uh, you know, uh, well, let's, let's get into the plot very quickly, I guess, or just hammer through it. I mean, I know, Graham, that you want to talk about the, the fact that this is the momentous first appearance of Auntie. Uh. <laughs> hey, we'll get to Auntie in a second, Jeff. <laughs> uh, if you've ever thought, Fantastic Four is great and all, but I wish they could take on race relations in 1970. Is it 1971? 19, well, this this fell under the 1972 folder on the on the the DVD, so I'm assuming that it's it actually is. Okay, let's 72. let's call it 72 then. Yeah, uh, 1972 World Stage, then. Good news. The Fantastic Four solve racism in this issue. Uh, they, as only they could. And by only they could, I mean, if you think it involves the thing destroying a wall, you're right. The plot as such is the Fantastic Four, who for some reason end up just being Johnny and Ben for an inexplicable reason, Yes, uh, go to rescue the Black Panther who has gone undercover in Wakanda's neighboring country of Rudaria. Yeah. Or Rudiaria. Uh, Rudyardia or something. Rudyardia. That makes sense because it's Richard Kipling. Exactly, yeah. Oh. um, (laughs) Get this. Crazily racist. And because the Black Panther or the Black Leopard, as he has renamed himself for reasons we'll get to soon, is there without an identity card, he gets thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. So they go and break him out and in the process say, hey kids, racism's bad. <laughs> the end. That's really the plot of the comic. That that really is. There's a little bit of some other stuff where like... Oh, there's lots of, there's lots of great sort of colourful... 
antics mm-hmm. inside it, including the completely pointless skyjacking. Scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that like I think I've I've delineated the main part of the plot. Yes, that is true. That is true. And uh, uh, it, it you know it's it's worth trying to point out that um, you know this story opens up with some uh, human torch. Uh, Ben Grimm hijinks where the want, two of them are feuding. That looks. I, I wanted. To, I want to talk about this for a second. Yes. Okay. Because you and I have made a fair amount of commentary in the past about the fact that we love the Fantastic Four stories that start off with them doing normal things. Exactly. We like them being a family. Like, oh, you know, Sue's trying on a new dress. Oh, Ben's just trying to read the paper. Whatever. Mm-hmm. This issue just starts off with the thing in the Fantastic Four. Literally having a fight that includes the thing ripping the wall apart yeah. and throwing it at the Human Torch to the point where the Human Torch then makes a point, a page mm-hmm. of him going, well, that's going to hurt people when it lands on them. I'll have to melt it and then use updrafts <laughs> of hot air to blow the melted slag into chimneys. First of all, not sure again, that's how science works, but we'll let that pass. <laughs> it's really weird, though, that it's... Because this happens in the next Roy Thomas issue as well, that it opens up with action mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the... They're just like us, except they have superpowers aspect of the comic. Really feels far away in these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I, also, I also think that there is... Um... There's some really interesting things going on here because I'm going to assume that, for better or for worse, John Basima is not working full script. You know, is that he's he's doing it in the Mighty Marvel uh, style, which is that you know he's getting he's getting some sort of loose plot provided by the the guys, and I I honestly think that Basima is. I don't know how to describe it. You know, he's being told to do stuff that I, I feel like either he doesn't get or, as I'd like to suggest in, in future in issues that we'll be covering in this uh, this episode, is is kind of not really down with. He's almost um, parroting it. And so, in a way, we've got a sequence where he might have been told, like, hey, you know we want a dynamic snazzy opening, but we also want to, you know, ha- let's a good way to do this is have the thing. And, and uh, Johnny be like sort of halfway between a wh- horseplay and fighting, you know, exactly. They're, they're having a tiff. Yeah. So, I mean, for, <laughs> I, I'm kind of like the opening of this is almost the end of the man of steel movie in terms of <laughs> the way in which, Weird, like, it's a high level of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you then find out what caused it. Yes, right. Which it, which is just one of those, like, crazy... It turns out that, uh, you know, the thing's upset because he got a hot foot and, and Johnny's, like, only gave him the hot foot because he, like, badmouth his girl, you know. And, and you're just like, you ripped out a wall, threw it at the torch, it... It hurled towards innocent human beings in the street, and uh, it destroyed part of the hotel side. Like there's actual damage going. Yeah, there is actual physical destruction that is not just related to like oh, it's 
the Baxter building, you know, and here comes Auntie who's going to sweep up the rubble. It's like, what about the hotel sign? What about the slag that's backing up these industrial chimneys, you know? Well, what Johnny actually explains what's going to happen to the slag. And again, science is not Johnny's strong point. Oh, yeah. The slag uh, gets funneled into those huge industrial chimneys, I'm now quoting, where the combined heat will turn the whole mishmash to ashes faster than you can say chimney sweep. Right. Why? <laughs> Think about it. Like, I was, at first, also confused about why the presumably concrete, I guess, or stone right. wall can be melted. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of confused me. But then, that once melted by extreme heat, mm-hmm. more extreme heat will turn it into ashes. Yeah. Yeah. I... I maybe maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a scientist. Lord knows. Maybe Johnny is actually hanging around with Reed so much that he knows super science. Yeah. But that seems a bit dodgy to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know. But it, it also seems like Roy Thomas, as scripter for this issue, right, is desperately trying to do something other than Ben. What the fuck are you doing? Why did you throw this part of a building at exactly. a hotel? Yeah. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll come up with an exclamation. It, it's it's nutty. And yeah. then it's laughed off so quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. So the fight lasts a page and a half. And it's then broken up by Reed and Sue, who are just like, you guys, apologize to each other now. Apologize to your brother. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, then, and then, Graham, you held it off as like man. And to... Your your favorite the character discovery of 1972 exactly automatic neurotic sorry not neurotic <laughs> neuro robots in charge of tidying up with increased efficiency yeah I love that and have you ever thought that acronyms would work if you just ignored certain words <laughs> so for anyone who's paying attention anti is an acronym automatic is taking the AU from automatic neuro robot the N Ignoring in charge of <laughs> the T from tidying up, ignoring the W from with, and then I and E from increase the efficiency. I love it. It really is one of those also, acronyms where it was just like. is Ultron. Yes. Yes. It's Ultron 2 or something. Yeah. Jump looks clearly knows what he what a robot looks like yeah. in his head. And he's like, yeah, Reed's, Reed's built like happy Ultron. <laughs> Who's called Auntie? Auntie. It's it really is. It's it's it is a prime difference between like Hank Pym and Reed Richards. Is Hank Pym's like I'm gonna call it Ultron. I'm gonna tell it tell it it's the best. I'm gonna treat it like it's my son, you know. And good old Reed's like yeah, I, I want you domestic to domestic help, <laughs> domestic help the the robot that I have now feminized ruthlessly. And uh, and basically, we'll now ignore. Come on, everyone. Uh, drinks are on me. I don't think we'll ever see it again, right? No, I don't think so. I didn't pop up again at that point. I just love the idea that it was like, we're going to announce this. And, and the fact that, that Roy Thomas was like, yes, I can build an acronym. Ah, shit. Kind of. It's so good. It is so good. I mean, because it's such a... I think, and this is going to be scary, is is that the some of the stuff here in this issue lands more for me than it does for Graham. But the number of things that don't land in this issue is really enjoyably uh, comical. Well, does this issue not feel very much like the 
later in the 70s Fantastic Four cartoon, too. The one that's Herbie. Yes, exactly. In fact, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, it's like Herbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except except, Except they went and turned it around. Herbie ends up being much closer in its weird way to sort of a Kirby esque creation, you know, than Auntie does, you know, because they're very different, you know. Yeah, Auntie is a voiceless uh, Ultron on two wheels Mm -hmm. that picks things up and. It's not quite clear clear what uh, Auntie does with the rubble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, just wheels away, wheels mm-hmm. away with the rubble. Uh, I want also want to say that I'm right now looking at the comics in PDF format from the the DVD. Mm. I initially read them, uh, Marvel Unlimited, where the colorist for Marvel Unlimited got very confused about what is rubble and what is Ben Grimm. Mm. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Which leads to some very strange, like, Ben Grimm has some very strange anatomy on the fourth panel of page four. <laughs> oh, I see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. I didn't, I also did it the same way. I'm looking at the PDFs now, but I, I definitely missed that part. So, which I'm kind of happy for. So, so the great thing is, is that uh, this is a, you know, Reed is on a call with uh, the Black Panther's number one dude. Uh, it's his number. No, it's specifically the Black Panther's number two honcho, which oh, I wow. love. Right, right. That's right. It's his number two honcho. Yeah, yeah. That is. That's a good point. I wonder if it's a continuity thing where he's like, you know, Roy's like, no, that's not really his number well, one. I, but I also <clears> think that Roy just doesn't know what things mean. I think number two honcho, he actually is trying to say he's the second most important person. I think so too, yeah. yeah. Uh, Because in the next page, when – what is his name? They do say – they do say – I mean it's – They say at some point. But anyway, it's kind but of late. when he is explaining what's going on, he is trying to say that the two men that, uh, he is talking about are enemies of Wakanda, and instead he said they're sworn blood brothers of the Wakanda tribe. Wow! Wait, really? I, well, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, because it because they're because they are enemies. They show up. They steal something from Wakanda. They leave. Mm-hmm. Okay, but they're introduced as the sworn blood. Oh, brothers yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. And and he means something completely different. Yes, he, he I means think Roy Thomas, bless him, just didn't know what certain things meant. Yeah, which or which is interesting because because it's well because that's the thing about Thomas is I'm I'm fascinated by the hey, way in which if it didn't show up in you know All Star Comics between <laughs> 1939. You know and what I as we know as people know if they listen to us you know quibble through the Avengers uh, read through. Thomas brought in I mean he's the guy who pulled we have animantium thanks to uh, Roy Thomas and that motherfucker pulled it from you know Paradise Lost he's how do I put it he's well read he is not necessarily hip and uh, and of course there are times where everyone's rolling way too quickly and I just I just love the idea that you know in at least one case, he's confused because Stanley has pulled him aside in the office and says, listen, Roy, I want you to let you know, when I say that you're my number two man, I really mean you're like my number one man. You do understand that, right? <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> That's totally amusing. Number two, aren't you? And he's like, okay, Stan, 
Right. I guess, I guess that's what people say. I, right. I suppose I, that means I'm number one, right? He's like, yeah, basically. Like, it's really just, just this ongoing. <laughs> the Stan isn't even writing this comic, and you're blaming Stan. Of course. Well, because I'm like, Roy yeah. Thomas has been running Marvel Comics for a long time. If he but thinks still. number two means number one, there's a reason why. You know no, what I mean? Like, he's no. been walking around, yeah. and Stan Lee's like, yeah, this is my number two man. And he's like, yeah, that means I'm your number one man. He's like, yeah, sure, right. You know, and then eventually Jack Kirby left and it was like, ah, uh, why did I even bother with the whole farce? I shouldn't have. I knew I couldn't have pulled that one off for long enough. So not um, to spoil what is coming up, but there is more than enough to blame Stan Lee for in this episode. Oh, completely. completely. I, I, I'm just I, I just think that it's funny when the anyway, when the number when the number two person at, at Marvel. Anyway, so. Anyway, uh, what's what great to say. <laughs> is what's great is, is that Reed Richards is so concerned about his good friend, the Black Panther, and the plight of racism that he very smartly uh, tells uh, Ben and Johnny, the two people who have just ripped apart half the building, to go uh, solve this uh, highly internationally tense case. While Reed retired, you know, he's got these important experiments that he's doing, which, of course, by rubbing on his head. Uh, his forehead, he's going to mystically summon up the cure for Crystal that will allow her to to stay in uh, 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 will leave the Great Refuge and stay in Man's World. It kind of is phrased like that, which is just shitty. Uh, But, okay, so first of all, you've jumped over what is actually going on, why the number two slash one head on show is called. I felt like you described it earlier, but okay, yes, I suppose I did, yes. These... Two men who are not really blood brothers of Wakanda uh, <laughs> arrived in a crash plane and stole, let's just be honest and call it a MacGuffin. Yes. Stole a pointless thing that does not matter for the rest of the story uh, from Wakanda and then went to Rudyard Kiplingandia, mm-hmm. exactly. uh, a neighboring ra- racist country. Yeah. T'Challa followed them undercover yeah. and has not been heard from since. Reed does indeed say. Listen, you guys who were just causing extensive property damage because you accidentally insulted one another's girlfriends. Uh, why don't you go and take care of this international <laughs> incident? Uh, I, I've got to look through this giant microscope. And they're like, okay, fine. Yeah. I love that. And we were just issues after the thing going, I don't want to be bank room anymore. Mm-hmm. And we already have a... Reed has some new science problem to obsess about that puts the weight of the world on his shoulders, namely solving Crystal's uh, problem, Mm -hmm. that also keeps him and Sue out of the action. Yeah. He has a new thing to feel angst-ridden about. Mm -hmm. Progress. That's what I have. If I I don't succeed, if I don't find a way to help Crystal live amongst humans again, if this latest lead is just another blind alley, she'll be lost, Johnny, forever. (laughs) Reed, you just... You kind of wish that this version of Reed had done uh, uh, like a TV show mm-hmm. where he would go to restaurants and, and review the food. Because they'd be like, sir, can I, can I bring you an appetizer? Yeah. And he'd just like, he'd lean forward and put his head in his hands and be like, if I order wrong, if I choose the wrong item, then this meal will be ruined and everyone will be disappointed in me again. Forever. Yeah, no, it's true. No one will come to Cafe Gratitude. (laughs) 
<laughs> the way it just comes up to you and Gavin Grant is like, you are egotistical. And he goes, I am. Thanks for noticing. That's right. Exactly. I've got three orders of the I am self-pitying and uh, a side order of the I am narcissistic. It's uh, so, oh, all, over, all over here. <laughs> Everything depends and- on what happens next. So, yeah. <laughs> Cuts to Ben in a wonderful suit. Yeah. And Johnny also in a suit, but his suit is just human size, not thing size, and therefore it's not as impressive. Mm-hmm. On the plane, a jetliner bound for Africa, which is hijacked by a nameless terrorist who wants to go to Cuba or else. What is the point of this scene? <laughs> it's, I swear to God, it's strictly because they... You need an action beat? It's an action beat. It's strictly an action beat. I mean, it, it's... Because, I don't know, I mean, who knows, maybe, I, thinking about it, now now that I think about it, it's possible that they were like, okay, after the fact that these two boobs more or less just about killed thousands of people and backed up industrial, you know, production for like a week, will they successfully manage to like save these people or will they accidentally shoot their own play out of the sky, like just about dooming everyone? You know, so maybe there's maybe there's genuine stakes here, but basically it just feels. Well, to be fair, Johnny actually does say that he daren't use the fire blast on the grenade mm-hmm. because it would blow a hole in the bottom plane. Another reason not to use a fire blast on the grenade: what good would that do? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make the explosive hotter. Yeah, exactly. That way, people can be hit with molten shrapnel. This exactly. will be excellent. Exactly. I, it's it's that wonderful moment where you start to realize just how limited Johnny's powers actually are. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Maybe just a hot air updraft. <laughs> <laughs> he could have sucked all the heat out of the plane. Oh, it's just all of it. Is, uh. Okay, so anyway, I do, the, do. The grenade's fine. Ben just takes it in his hands and it explodes in his hands. And because he's the thing, he's fine. This is somewhat contradicted by something that happens a couple of issues from now. Mm-hmm. But let's just move past it right now. Yeah. Oh, the other grenade incident or whatever. Anyway. No, 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 not the other grenade incident. The fact that later on you see Bengram sweat. Oh, wow. Okay, right. Because, yeah. you know, you'd think if you could have a grenade explode in your hand, yeah, you'd be pretty okay with, you know, heat. <laughs> right? Later on, just with Human Torch in front of him, he's seen sweating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So for me, we're, we're moving to one of the pages that I think is kind of interesting in that uh, on page nine, uh, they essentially get out at the airport. They're both Thing and Johnny are appalled that they are um, at, at a place where there are separate lines for Europeans and coloreds. Uh, they go and they catch uh, – they. The thing is upset, basically. Yeah, exactly. He's like, that's the third empty cab that's passed me by like I was a plague case or else maybe, and Johnny says, maybe a black man trying to get to Harlem, Mr. G. Yeah, something like that. For myself, one thing that I did find my the second time through when I read this, or God help me, it might have even been the third time through, is I did find myself being like, oh, you know... Uh, the recent Fantastic Four movie that did not do well in any way, and it's <laughs> pretty much widely admitted, like, wasted the talents of some inc- incredibly talented people, um, it, which, of course, now I have to go look up because I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to remember that guy's name. Uh, Michael Jordan? 
Yes, Michael Jordan as Johnny Storm. There was a lot of controversy about him, uh, you know, an African-American man, young black man being cast as Johnny Storm. I did have this weird moment in this issue realizing how, for whatever reason, um, because there's there's a whole sequence where the cab driver basically was like, oh, I know you, you're the thing, one of the American Fantastic Four. Sorry I didn't stop at first, but I took you for... I mean, you know, and it, and he, basically the things like shut the hell up with your racist mouth. But I'm sort of like, how can you mistake Ben Grimm for a black person? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is clearly because yes. All black people in Richard Kipling are, yeah. are actually made of orange rocks well, there, and there are go. oversized and not human shaped at all. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there's a there's a little uh, there in the letters page for this issue. Uh, Lester G. Uh, Botillier from New Orleans, Louisiana, actually writes a really interesting little bit about how um, there was a Hulk story with uh, parodying radical chic. Uh, based upon a popular idea that the Hulk is a symbol of all minority groups, not given the same opportunities by the majority that they give themselves, and disliked, mistrusted, and sometimes feared by that majority, I think the thing comes closer to this symbolic representation than does the Hulk. Look at his problem. What is it? It's his power, who his uniqueness. Who gave him his problems? Reed Richards, the perfect symbol of the majority in America, the Wasps. Has he tried to help Ben, tried to solve the problems he caused? At times, Ben has doubted this. The purity of the motivations of the individual characters of the FF and the situations are more representative of what has happened and what still happens to minority groups in this country than the problems of the Hulk, who's hunted by the authorities constantly. Oh, Lester. Uh, there's always been an element of loneliness. No, much more than loneliness in the thing because of his condition. And I think unless Ben acquires the same control over his powers that the others have, he should be so portrayed. Well, that's all for now. Lester G. Batillier. It's kind of helpful that this particular letter ends up in this particular issue. And I sort of half think because Roy Thomas is writing and my long suspicion has been doing the letters column here for a while. Uh, that those pop up at the same time. But yes, I have to they, say... They may be connected. <clears throat> I honestly kind of... Uh, in its in its clumsy way, there is a way in which the stuff that's happening with, in Rudyardia makes no sense that, that, that the thing would be mistaken for a, a black person. Uh, and yet what I thought was interesting is the idea that it's a decision that's made... Um, Although it seems nonsensical, I'd argue there's there's almost something right to it. And well, I, I think that the letter is uh, is smart and sensitive and picks up on something that that could be explored. Yes, I don't think this comic actually really does it because, no. be, with the exception of that scene, mm -hmm. that that idea is not explored anywhere else in the comic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it what the comic does do is maybe for the first time paints the thing as not only anti-bigot but more aggressively so i guess mm -hmm. than any of the rest of the team mm -hmm. you you have the feeling that he is irritated and angered by it yeah in a way that johnny's just like hey these kooks are being wacky daddy-o <laughs> actually well, you know I mean? like i I, th I think if if reed was there mm -hmm. 
Reed would make some sort of paternal comment about it's their culture and they will learn better on their own time. Right. Exactly. And, and, you, and, you definitely get the the idea that the thing is is especially by the end of the story, fairly explicitly, why don't we all just tear it down? I mean you even have on, on the first panel of page nine, he basically says it's a good thing we're trying to save the world and not just this country. Because if it's this country, I'd, I'd leave them to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I, I think for the most part, uh, I think Johnny is actually sort of quietly disgusted but resigned in a kind of what are you what are you going to do kind of way. Like, ah, this is horrible how they treat people. And the thing is, is like this is actively wrong and appalling. Um and, and so it's kind of a, it's it's an interesting positioning. Let's put it that way. The fact that he, he is sort of um, uh, more disgusted and more of a sort of uh, ends up being more of a crusader than you might ex- expect uh, is is kind of a, a little bit of a repositioning for the thing. And I think this is this is one of the things that uh, I, don't, I don't know how much this is l- really going to pay off later per se considering we're following this with <coughs> a long chunk of Stan Lee's stuff. But at 126, when you see Roy Thomas take over and is very pleased at the idea that he's going to be the scripter for the FF, there's, um, there's a little bit of the, you know, we're seeing some, we're, we're seeing someone who really wants to be writing the fantastic four and wants to start tweaking things and fine tuning things. Well, and also someone, arguably the first writer, uh, on the title, who appreciates the thing as the heart of the team to the extent that Kirby did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He seems I, I think super aware of that. That's a good he's point. very, very aggressively like, oh yeah, it's actually about the thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move past the letter, I want to say very quickly that the response to the letter is hilariously, <laughs> shittily gutless. Yes. Yeah. Uh, your ideas are well thought out, Les. And maybe both Stan Lee and John Buscema will explore that idea front avenue these first months after Smiley returns as FF scripter next ish. No, he won't. Not even in the slightest. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even vaguely. And so <laughs> it seems really shitty to me that it is such a it's a great letter and it really mm-hmm. brings up some interesting things about the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, to respond with, stay tuned mm-hmm. uh, when. Nothing is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Feels especially underhanded somehow. Well, it's interesting it's, because it's not what the alternative is like it's the alternative. Right. Oh, that that's really interesting. Sadly, stands back. So if you want a Galactus retread, we've got that coming up. We we've oh, oh no wait a nonsensical Galactus retread. We've got well, that yeah, going on. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll we'll get there. Oh Jeff. boy, will we? So, but. But I mean, in a way, it's sort of uh, the response you see, like you said, you, I understand the, the gutlessness of it and it's it's a bit of a head slapper, but it it is it is very similar to this issue. I mean, in the sense of on the one hand, there was the decision they could have just chosen not to run that run letter, yeah. you know, and they run it. They really have no way of being able to follow up on that per se. And they can't really say that it's not going to happen. Similarly, you have an you have an issue of a comic book in which two superheroes go to uh, an area of a, you know, apartheid. Essentially. Yeah, they, essentially, they essentially go to South Africa. <laughs> they go to South Africa to free a political prisoner. Uh, 
and talk about how this concept of segregation is bad. You know, it's 72. It's, you know, a ways after. But the, there, there's a lot of stuff that's still stinging in this country about it. You know, and so in a way, and, and at least for me, compared to some of the um, other social comics, uh, social issue comics that are coming out around this time or earlier, uh, you know, it's 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 a little more quote unquote sophisticated, if only by comparison. And yet, you still get a sequence. The I love the the fact that the essentially on page. Uh, 13 the the last panel on page 13 is the best because leading up to that point essentially the Ben and Johnny are able to track down what's happened to T'Challa and then they jump into uh or Chala I guess and they manage to it's break the into silence yes the T is silent they manage to break into the prison free Chala, and he's like, okay, but now it's time for me to do my thing as I, you know, it's like, let them face the Black Leopard, which I actually read as the Black Leotard uh, the first time, because I was so close. So Just one little one. It's like, hey, look out for the Black Leotard. But it really is that thing of like, the the what? And what follows is one of those great Roy Thomas, like, uh, scientifically... You know, but it is also, it, it says so much about this comic. And like you said, sort of the gutlessness, there's a tightrope that's being walked that really does look sort of up, so appallingly timid uh, Wait, to our eyes. But it's eyes. because you, you get, so you get the thing hmm? and Johnny Storm find out that Chala, I'm going to call him T'Challa. T'Challa, yeah, even though it's expressly spelled out, Chala yeah. just sounds... Nonetheless, even, even when, when they find out that he's in jail, mm -hmm. they just automatically go to, we're breaking him out. Yeah. Which feels uh, very revolutionary in itself. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, that you, that I, even though you have um, Johnny express misgivings about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't like this jailbreak, but Ben, but waiting for due process might be fatal, he says. Right. But... But they do. They just go to, like, well, fuck it. We're going to break him out. Yeah. Like, he's our friend. We don't believe in the system. We're going to break him out, which feels very revolutionary. And to then go from that to the next page, mm -hmm. having T'Challa uh, explain that he's changed his name because I contemplate a return to your country, Ben Grimm, where the latter term, being Black Panther, has political connotations. I neither condemn nor condone those who've taken up the name. <laughs> but T'Challa is a law unto himself. Hence the new name, a minor point at best, since the panther is a leopard. And it's just like, oh, right? it's, it's oh. awkward. Ah, it is. It's 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 and so painful. Specifically, weird thing is they've called him the panther before this issue. Yeah, like in this issue, they've already called him the black panther, and later on, Johnny will trip over the name change. Yeah. So yeah. it's this really weird thing to be like. But he's not one of those guys you might be scared of, White America. Right, right. So there's this, there is this weird tightrope, as you put it. It's you know, there's the aspect of it that seems very revolutionary to the point where, when you were talking about, it, I'm like, you know, of course this is why they didn't have Reed Richards here because you know, if you want to write the character at all in character as he's been established, he would not put up with the stuff that they're doing 
that of course would make the comic interesting. But the flip side of it is, yeah, just totally walking back the idea that this character, they're expressly removing any association, you know, with a group because like you said, it'll make white America nervous and or white customers uh, of, of comic book customers nervous is really, uh, it's, it's a bummer. <laughs> and, and, and in an issue where they are well-meaning if defined with mm-hmm. saying, hey, guys, racism and segregation is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's it's it really is one step forward, two steps back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just one step forward, one step back. I, but it's it's simultaneously a very brave issue and a very cowardly issue. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is something that is uh, worth pointing out because uh, it seems like the bravery tends to get celebrated. Um, and it's it's worth keeping in mind. Also, when you're reading it and you're just so deeply embarrassed for everyone, you sort of I, – I do want to be like, well – There really is that sense, isn't it? Where you're like, wow, that's – oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're really – for every moment of, hi, I didn't – oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a little bit of a – well, it was a, it was a different time and they exactly. were they, – They meant well. Yeah, they, they meant well at least part of the time when they weren't trying to roll it back in a way that wasn't going to offend no, anyone. Even but, like know. even the rolling it back, I think they meant well. I think yeah. they are being cowardly, mm-hmm. but I think at heart, Roy Thomas really did have yeah. his heart was in the right place. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, so I totally forgot. It's so funny. It was like I was flipping through this, and it in my brain the comic more or less ends with the jailbreak, right? right? And, but that, there's still five pages to go, including yeah. the showdown with the guy who stole the Vibratron, the MacGuffin of the, in question, whose name is Jeth Robards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Jeth Robards is such a wonderfully comedic name to me, yeah. but it really is. Yeah. Jeth Robards. Yeah. Jeth Robards, by the way, is only a patsy. He's selling it to Claw. Of course. Claw. You know. <laughs> I feel that's how, like, if if that's not the way he says his name in the in the Black Panther movie, I'll be really sad. Also, just think of the Black Panther movie, they're going to call him T'Challa or Chala. Man, that is a really good question. Did you see Tom Brevoort on his his Tumblr? Someone said, what do you think of the theory that T'Challa's name is, spelled, is pronounced with a silent T? And he was like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> wow. That's great. Is that why you ended up digging up the... Cause I, no, I, found, it was... I found it first. Oh, wow. Ah, beautiful. Actually, if the question came from someone who'd seen it on the way what Tumblr. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I, I think that I I think that they're gonna go with T'Challa myself. To be honest, it sounds better. It does. It absolutely does. It sounds cool. T'Challa just sounds sorta of like it's I mean it sort of sounds it like sounds Jewish bread. Like you know, yeah. like, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. There anyway, there is a showdown between Claw and and the Fantastic Two and the Black Leopard. <laughs> I love how this comic, the way you describe it, I'm like, wow, it's shrinking before our very eyes. <laughs> no, but the, the showdown takes three pages, and both of us forgot about it. And we both read this comic like three or four times. Three times. In the last yeah, week. Exactly. Exactly. I both forgot that showdown happened, which yeah. really says it all. Yeah, it really does. And if you want to see something interesting, those people who have access to the GIT Core scans. Uh, looking at an iPad, pages 18 and 19, which are the majority of the fight with Claw, are done on sort of Watchman style, a three by yeah, three nine, grid. Oh, grid. Yeah, yeah for, for two pages. 
And it looks kind of stultifying. Again, it's that sort of thing that I, I'm really... Bushema Bushema loves doing nine-panel grids for fights. Yeah. Because he did the same with the thing in the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't work. It really doesn't. It really feels constricted. And it, in some ways, I think, again, there's ways in which I wonder if it's because he's just not into it, which is fascinating because he puts a lot of work into it. So well, this rumor was always that Bashema just didn't enjoy superhero stuff. Right. But was such a professional mm-hmm. that he's worked his heart out nonetheless. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, you can believe that when you look at work like this. Mm-hmm. 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 Because on page 18, you have the thing crushing Claw's sound mitt. Or, so sorry, his Sony Claw. Um, and... It actually does feel like someone has clipped a, an excerpt out of a bigger piece of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so zoomed in on. It mm-hmm. is very, very strange and very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it gets the point across. It tells the story. Yeah. But, and this isn't just a, well, Kirby would have done it better because, of course he would. He's Jack Kirby. Right. Other artists would have realized that that is the money shot mm-hmm. and would have emphasized it more. Well, and the thing that I think is interesting is the way in which Basima is doing a – I wonder that to the extent – because you, what we will see here is kind of, um, you know, the, the concept of the using cinematic language and cinematic concepts to explain and understand uh, comic book storytelling is really hitting the vogue – you know, around here. And I think we'll continue to sort of uh, dominate the conversation about the medium, uh, you know, probably to this day. But so what's fascinating is, is when you look at what Basima's doing in terms of uh, what you would think of as cinematic storytelling, it, it technically is more or less on point. He moves into his close-ups. He keeps everything in close the way that you're supposed to traditionally do to heighten a sense of drama uh, in the cinema, the the idea is that the farther out you go back to like a large shot or a wide screen shot, the more you dissipate that tension. So he ratchets things close and he cuts a lot. There's a lot of, you know, the, that two-page sequence by being, you know, nine panels to a page, there's a lot of shots. There's a lot of cutting. It's supposed to, what he's trying to create is sort of a frenetic sense of, of urgency, you know, mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in a cinematic style. But one of the things that was actually sort of brilliant about the way that Kirby's reinvention of this sort of story, this storytelling, especially for superheroes is the way in which opening things up makes the moment feel bigger in a way that doesn't, that, that sort of cuts against that you know, that traditional concept. And so to me, anyway, it's fascinating seeing someone, Basima, who I just have ridiculous amounts of respect for as an artist. I, what I find fascinating is, is that his, his work, especially inked by cynic can look so beautiful here. And yet, and he is the guy who goes on to do the, how to draw comics, the Marvel way with Stan Lee, you know, in just, I don't know, five or six years from now. And, 
And so he is sort of an embodiment of Marvel, the Marvel house style as it develops post Jack Kirby. And yet these pages really do make you think like either he didn't under, especially if he's plotting Marvel style and in theory has the same freedom to tell the story the same way that Kirby could, you know, it means that, that Basima has in some ways a really deep, uh, misunderstanding or just an inherent um, conflict with Kirby's style that uh, that I think makes for a weird read here, goes on to make a weird read as we move into, you know, Lee's attempt to sort of bring back Lee Kirby cosmic grandeur. Um, and, and, and is just, it, it just feels wrong. It really just gets yeah. missed in some really interesting ways, ways that I, I would have found this comic, uh, despite even the little bits and parts that I like, you know, I would have found this comic just absolutely insufferably dull. And frankly, the other issues that follow oh, oh, oh. are, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they're really, really dull. And yet thanks to, you know, us having read the first, you know, hundred some odd issues beforehand, it's fascinating to kind of look at and see someone be like, oh, here they are. They are doing the Fantastic Four. They're carrying on this tradition. And there's a lot of stuff that they that is just inherently being misunderstood, you know, in the bones of it. The actual ending of the story, and I think where definitely where I went to after the jailbreak, and I think where you went to as well, yeah. is the climax of the story is that Ben, Johnny, and T'Challa go towards the the door i guess the door of the jail mm-hmm. yeah, uh, i think so and, and there are two doors one for european one for colors mm-hmm. and ben is so disgusted by it he just rips it apart mm-hmm. he rips the wall down mm-hmm. uh, and the, the the comic ends with them stepping over the the signs mm-hmm. uh, for europeans and colors notably the uh ben steps on the europeans Mm-hmm. Sign and Jala steps on the colored sign, mm-hmm. uh, but they they leave it behind, broken, uh, the, the system shattered, and the the closing narration is: and in the early gloom of morning, two men stare after them, mouths slack and minds agape, and perhaps they understand just a little. <laughs> and it is like that was very Stanley for me. Mm-hmm. That was an incredibly Stanley like preachy ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like we have had the dramatic moment, like the dramatic metaphor, they are crushing racism. Yes. But the end is also perhaps our fellow man mm-hmm. is our fellow man. <laughs> you know, it's that, that sort of like, be yeah. kind to your brothers and sisters for they are your brothers and sisters. Yes, yes, exactly. Thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is very Stanley. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this very... is Stanley calling to me. I, I was genuinely <clears throat> surprised to be like, oh, Troy Thomas. You know, I, I do want to point out because this is something that the gets pointed out on the letters page a few issues later that I missed is is that uh, when Ben rips out the wall to, that separates the, the separations between the Europeans and the coloreds, uh, and he says, there's some things you just got to get out of your system. And I'm like, oh, you got to get racism out of the system. 
Like that, that I, and, and when I say, Oh, I mean like that was not an understanding that I actually had at any point until someone in the letters page said, Oh no, oh, I, no, like that point. It, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize until you said it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I exactly. Like, oh, that's actually kind of smart. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Good job, right, Thomas. Yeah. I almost think by call the sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, so again, the, the weird mixed bag that is, that is Roy Thomas and Roy Thomas, fantastic fours that I suspect to come is this this thing of like you're like ah oh, you are so i mean there's his own proclivities which you know can be fanboyish and nerdish there's the parts of him that are uh slavishly trying to recreate a stanley style and can succeed in those moments where you're like oh i was just as corny as a stanley moment uh and then there are those little things where it's just like oh but there is there is a little bit more. He is doing something where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, he's, he's, you know, like, the, sort, sort of like we were saying. The ball is trying to be moved forward a little bit. It really is. Uh, there is there is ambition there um, that, that, it, that I welcome, that I can't totally make myself mock, even when the rest of it is, uh, is mockish, uh, I guess. Yeah. So... Um, one twenty. Oh, now we get into it. Now, now we get into terribleness. Yeah, we really get into another, yet another swan song from Stanley. Uh, yeah, the nets for issues are atrocious. Mm-hmm. Can, can we just say that they're I, really bad? I, 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 they are, and I'm part of my hope. Really, has a lot to do with the idea that, again, you've got. I, there's a that it, Stanley and Basima are working on on the scripts together. I assume that they're again going Marvel style, but you see what you saw Stan do so well uh, in during the run with him and Kirby is he really was able to paper things over so well and or keep things moving that. He knew. He sort of knew when Kirby's plots had enough of an internal consistency to run with it, and when occasionally things got woggy enough that that Lee could sort of wallpaper over either with a song and dance or either by just kind of lampshading it and moving on. And in these issues, which are so, the emphasis is so on keeping the page turning, but not only does the larger story make absolutely no sense when, when you put, read the issues back to back, but the pages themselves almost don't, the issues themselves contradict themselves throughout or are just absolutely, um, Meaningless. I do want to say so that the, the, to move on to 120, uh, which which has the worst title ever, the horror that walks no, no, on no, air. No. <laughs> Not even the fabulous FF can save from the horror that walks on air, Jeff. Yes, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, get yeah. Right. Oh man, I tell you. So the horror that walks on air seems really. Impressively underwhelming to me, but what I love is, is here you've got something, the, the sequence more or less opens with a big alarm going off, startling the FF from what they were doing. 
the sort of moment in repose where they're just like us that, that used to be take up like, you know, two or three pages is literally compressed into one panel just as the alarm goes off. We've seen the Baxter building under attack before. In fact, it was more or less a trope uh, under the Lee Kirby years as everyone just couldn't wait to get their hands on that Baxter building uh, goodness with all of Reed's amazing intellectual property inside. And so you would see dudes who are being, you know, in, in a variety, we've seen just a, a plethora of different jumpsuits, different supervillains, different crazy Kirby-esque bad guys attacking the Baxter building. This issue opens with the Pillow Sheet Gang, a group of individuals who have their faces just wrapped in uh, pillowcases and with Tommy guns just out and out running in gunning trying to just go for a straight gun down attack and it's fascinating again you couldn't get farther it's almost as if basima was going to make fun of a kirby uh baxter building break-in sequence which i don't think that he is this is almost in how that you would do it is the even though the guy the pillowcase gang are dramatically sort of visually arresting considering my god you can't see their faces they got pillows wrapped around them it's it's kind of ridiculous it's it's well, it's also kind of amazing that they literally just shoot their way in yeah they do all the all the extra defenses that we've heard about the baxter building having all the glorious stuff they shoot their way in they push a button on an elevator and they run in with tommy guns blazing and the FF are more or less like, gotta think what? fast. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get venomolated. So, yeah, it's... Uh... But you've had 120 issues at this point mm-hmm. of the Fantastic Four going, no one can get into the Baxter building because we have special buttons. Yes. Yeah. Special buttons. And so, and so there's a two-step here. Part of me is kind of like, in the past, the incredibly overly scrupulous Stan Lee would have had put like three word balloons in Reed's mouth where Reed would have announced that he knew that they were coming, but in order to avoid innocent um, innocence being hurt, he's just going to give them direct access to the building and shut off their defenses so that they can handle with them directly themselves. You know, instead, you just kind of get the thing where everyone's like, holy shit, guys with guns, you know, quick, Ritsu, turn his arms invisible so he has no idea what's going on. Which Which is my new favorite thing. Sue's never done this before. She does it twice in this issue. Yeah. I will turn body parts invisible to freak people out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which I I was just like, huh. Anyway, so we get an action scene, but not only is it underwhelming but there's a little bit of the i don't know it it does it's practically contradictory to what's come before and part of me is like okay it almost like i'm like this is stan lee this is the guy who wrote all those issues who had to come up with all this stuff so uh, the extent to which stan's eye is fully on the ball uh in these issues I'm heavily suspect, you know, the one thing that actually makes me think that he was in on the plotting is we once and again get to see Blood and Gut Collins, the uh, J. Jonas Jameson-esque landlord that stops by to chomp on his cigar, yell at people, and then become very cowardly and run off when 
Ben Grimm basically out yells and out cigar chomps him. He's weird. He keeps sh- showing up. Yeah, he keeps showing up. And it's fascinating because it's this weird, like, every time I see him, I inherently, we've seen him six times, but I just keep inherently rejecting him as a character. There's nothing yeah, to him. Like- he seems like they keep trying to make him happen. Yeah. And he never does. Like, he shows up and he's like, rah, 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 rah. and right. they're like, oh, you're causing trouble. Done. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. It, it, this whole idea that they that they need a J. Jonah Jameson-esque guy that to both have rump against and also to have hijinks with. Well, that... it makes sense, though, because that's been really popular for Spider-Man. Absolutely. And Fantastic Four doesn't have uh, a nemesis like that. Right. And so their attempt to bring that character in, quote unquote, makes sense, but it makes sense in, you know, hey, time to bring in Poochie logic. You know, it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't really make sense in the way that, you know, when you've got Spider-Man and he is one single individual and, you know, depending on how you want to slice up the Lee Ditko pie, he's either, you know, being, you know, oppressed. He's a, a, an isolated teenager who's being oppressed by the older generation that doesn't understand him, or, you know, he's a free thinker that is being crushed by the voices of, you know, media oppression who don't understand the, the power of the individual A equals A, kind of whichever way it slices up, it makes sense there. But But the FF is weirdly the man you know it's there's a way in which the ff is a kind of a bizarro story of of integration you know but also Um, if you think about it the ff is or has the potential to be and often is mm -hmm. all of those elements like reed can be the j john jameson yeah right well and and i think that's the other thing is is there was a way in which i think thanks to kirby's plotting and sort of his inability to sort of take things too seriously he would always move towards a comical moment or a sweet moment in a way that outside the lee uh, outside the kirby drawn books in the marvel universe there's just a lot of internal conflict you know the, the again to me the big thing was reading the avengers with you and and seeing how in those issues how much everyone's just an insufferable asshole Who's arguing all the time? Like the Fantastic Four really did have, even though in each issue it never quite seemed right, the overall arc did balance out. There was sort of a familial sweetness that also allowed them to have internal conflict that just didn't feel like total trill assholeism as long as there wasn't too much read in a sequence. And now I feel like they're trying to do that, move beyond that. You know, I think we even said this in the last episode. That Lee seems to trend towards people are mean to each other mm-hmm. as conflict, mm-hmm. and and Kirby had a sweetness in it and a and a familiar aspect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. you know. And so now that Kirby's at this point significantly out of the picture for almost two years, yeah, I feel that Lee is trying. You said it yourself; he's trying to recreate the old thing, but it's it's just he can't quite do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's just a level that they miss, and so I think the whole like. Oh, we'll unite against our, you know, uh, we've got a comical landlord now that that basically is going to sort of bring everyone together, is going to give, still allow for a lot of, you know, the things over the top shenanigans, 
but you know you don't have everyone you know yelling and shrieking and pointing into each other <laughs> at least until you get to the the first official Roy Thomas issue so yeah, yeah. this issue is is kind of filler uh i mean i i know we've got a lot to we could break it down on a page by page basis. I'm not sure the extent to which, you know, we want to keep things timely. <laughs> Graham, considering this is the we first are hour. Already, <laughs> already, so uh, let's just say that if, for those people who remember those issues where the FF are told that to beware the overmind and that the overmind is coming and that there's an amazing thing, or people who even remember when uh, the, the Galactus is supposed to show up and we don't know it and the sky's filled with asteroids and the watchers like waving his big fat hands around. This is that kind of issue, except sort of um, more dull uh, in that a mysterious man who can walk on air. And once again, I would say has a design that misunderstands what Kirby does, uh, is I, walking I across. You, although I love his wings. Uh, his wings come and go the wings slash multicolored Cape half the time. I love them as in like, I think the very first image that we get of him on page 10. Uh, and then there's a lot of times where it just sort of looks like Someone is puking up. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a soda fountain is puking up out of his back. So it doesn't it doesn't really I have to, you know, I wanted to move us through it quickly. But let's just say for those people who want to go and why should they read the issue? Probably pages nine and ten are worth a read in which Stan Lee manages to do terrible (laughs) Accents for all the citizens of the world as they react. Oh, that is in that awe. page is amazing, isn't it? I love Especially it. Especially because you get the English pilots who go blimey. <laughs> it's all good. You go the Germans, you go from the Germans to say it is not possible. We must be dreaming. Nine, mine hair. It is a nightmare. <laughs> so British pilot who goes blimey. We're going mad. It's so great. It's you totally forgot. There's at the bottom. There's actually an Italian guy oh, in a gondola mama, who yeah. goes, "Mamma mia!" It's a miracle. I'm just like, and of course he's got to follow it up with like a little bit of shitting on the commies. Good old Stan on page, but he saves it for page ten. But page nine is just like it's the cavalcade of Stan. Like it's the it it is. I I am sorry. I I laughed. Every time I cross these pages, because each time it just seemed a little worse. I mean, God bless him, but it was almost, I guess the problem is, is that instead of Stan kind of being able to sort of make fun of himself at the times in which he was doing things. And so there was a little bit of the, you get the sense that Stan isn't taking it so seriously in this sequence. He's not undercutting himself. He's trying to build to an, a moment of momentousness. Oh no, he, he's, he's playing that entirely straight. Yes. That the world is, is mm-hmm. standing in awe of this amazing man. Yeah. And he, I mean, bless him. He's really trying, but Gabriel, who is the, the, man who's walking on air in question is utterly underwhelming not i mean in this issue he's underwhelming to a great degree but even in the next issue which is all about how powerful he is yeah he's not doing anything that anyone hasn't seen before mm-hmm. and everyone is acting as if this is the first time they've ever seen it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes exactly exactly it really is just one of those deals i have to say uh after saying the stuff about basima and cinematic 
storytelling, I have to say that I do want to give a little shout out to page 14, which is a variety of, for whatever reason, after, after Operation T for Taunt, uh, manages to succeed and draw Gabriel's I, attention. I knew you'd go for Operation T for Taunt. Johnny, follow plan. T for Taunt. <laughs> that's, that's actually a direct quote. I love it so much. I'm like, why don't you just call it Operation Taunt? He's like, no, it's T for Taunt. I'm like, but then just call it Operation T or Operation Taunt. But What's the point of it? It's plan. It's oh, plan. sorry. Oh, okay. Pick on me, Graham. Pick on me with this amazing. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so ridiculous. Plan <laughs> T for Taunt. <laughs> I just plan T or say plan Taunt. You don't have to say plan T for Taunt. <laughs> It's just so bad. Anyway, uh, after after T for Taunt uh, succeeds, we get page 14, I want to say, which I really appreciate because you have everyone essentially trying to distract everyone in the FF, trying to distract or keep Gabriel's attention so he doesn't just zoom away. And I love that in a what looks like a modified nine panel grid. So there's a great little close up of Gabriel's face in the middle saying nothing around which the entire page is centered. And I'm like, Oh, every time I see that page as a full page, I'm like, there's a nice little designed page. Thank you, John Basima. Uh, but the rest of it is really just kind of, Oh, Graham, it is so not a good issue. It is really just, it's, it's but it's really reminiscent of things we've seen before. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it feels very much like the classic Lee and Kirby, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something's coming, something's coming. Oh, my God, what is coming? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But just like a bad photocopy of it. Mm-hmm. It, like, it, it feels like that, but lesser. Yeah, it 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 feels like, and this is a weird thing, of here's Stan, here you have Stanley, one of the co-creators of the Fantastic Four, basically creating an issue of FF fanfic, you know, it's so super derivative. And there's a little bit in the way in which, you know, we, we talked about the first appearance of Galactus, the whole rumor that goes on that, that this was, you know, the, the G on it, on Galactus's belt stands for God. And the idea that that is a, a story that's told that, that sort of, is is a little bit of an urban legend about kind of like how over the top the Galactus idea is, but you know, but also this idea of like, oh, it's the FF versus God. Uh, it's if you know, even if you take all of that as more or less true, you know, which I don't think it is. I don't think it's like they were like, no, 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 no we gotta, we gotta change this up. You basically have an issue here, which more or less ends with. The the trumpet of Gabriel, which he expects. Well, the, the end is amazing. Shall yeah. We, like, shall we just skip the end? And, and the I, I think of, so. This yeah, is a boring yeah. issue. Yes. Uh, it ends with Gabriel saying, I come from above. As for my name and my mission, perhaps this golden object will furnish a clue. See how it glows. See how it grows before your very eyes. It is the trumpet of Gabriel. For such is my name. I have come here to blow it, to let mankind know... The end of the world is at hand. It should be very dramatic. Yeah. It's played up as very dramatic. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is amazingly underwhelming. And as you're saying, more so in the next issue, I think, Mm -hmm. they're very much playing to the, I hope you know your Christian iconography. Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) Because otherwise you'll be like, 
why is Gabriel a big deal? Like, okay. what's what's this horn? Yeah, right. What is this horn? What's the whole idea that he's blowing it and it's the end of the world? And also, if nothing else, it's it's clear that how do I put it? Like. It doesn't have a much of impact unless you know your Christian iconography, and then you're like, "Oh, huh, that's a big deal." But exactly. But also, that's a bold step. Yeah, it's it is. It's a bold step, and yet, <laughs> like, if you know your Christian iconography, you really might be thinking, "Is Stanley actually saying that God is here to destroy Earth?" And that is really what you are supposed to believe at the end of that issue. That is, and and what's interesting is is explicit and weirdly enough, without necessarily uh, continuing to spell that out, all of what happens, or at least the opening chunk of issue one twenty one, um, really only makes sense if that's the case. They because it does open where they're where people are are openly debating whether this is the angel Gabriel who has come you know, to, to, to summon the end of the world, everyone freaks out. Okay, let's, let's jump into that issue. Yes. It's called, this is the greatest title of a Fantastic Four comic yet. Yes. Your senses will reel in shock as the fabulous FF finally uncovered the mysterious mind-blowing secret of Gabriel. (laughs) I shit you not, people. That's actually the title of the comic. Yeah. It's another masterpiece of Furry Fantasy by Stan the Man Lee and Big John Buscema. Oh, yeah. which also reminds me, the credits of uh, the previous issue, 120, mm-hmm. uh, embellishment by John Sinnott because they get the, their own inker's name wrong. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. Anyway, 121. <laughs> uh, 121, it really is a really strange issue because Ben immediately goes to Gabriel as an angel. Yeah. So does everyone else around them. To yes. the point where, where Gabriel says, hey, you guys, go and beat up the Fantastic Four. They do. Yes. Everyone absolutely turns on the FF uh, the instant Gabriel's like, I might show you some mercy if you destroy these guys. And everyone's like, done and done. And on top of it, it's followed by, by the time you get to page seven, essentially, men have given into despair. All industry is shut down. Uh, there's been looting, pillaging. Basically, everyone's treating it like it's the end of like the world. Like the end of the world. Yeah. Yes. Because you know? in their eyes, because apparently everyone in the world on the Marvel Universe is Christian and accepts, in a world where you've seen everything happen. Yes. Like, honestly, in a world where you've seen Galactus and the Silver Surfer, mm-hmm. you still somehow believe that this guy is the angel Gabriel. Yeah. And everyone is Christian. Mm-hmm. So they all believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very strange issue. It it's it feels very much like Stanley is trying to one up what has gone before. Yes, but none of it rings true at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Like I... the idea that the idea basically humanity is is all buying it, mm-hmm. with the exception of the military who are fi- trying to fight him, and the right. FF who are trying to find another solution. It, it's it's just wacky. Also, that Gabriel wants to destroy the Fantastic Four. It's funny to me. I mean, it's. Funny is not the right word. It's telling to me that Gabriel calls the Fantastic Four the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not been introduced to them, but he just knows they're the Fantastic Four. There is technically a reason for this, if you want to read into it. But uh, okay, but let's we have to talk about that. Well, I'll, I'll, let's hold off until it's appropriate yeah, because if you that is the best. That is yeah, that is but, the part that's still. But like all of it, like even if you believe this is the Angel Gabriel, why is he? What is he having at the Fantastic Four in particular? 
Right. Because he really does. Like, he chases them into the fucking river and then tries to throw a boat at them. Yes. Well, you even have a, an amazing sequence where, where, uh, and th- again, this th- one of the things that is interesting to me about, uh, again, about here you've got Lee, you've got Basima. It's not a Lee Kirby joint. And <clears throat> I'm fascinated to the extent to which, uh, so frequently in a Lee Kirby story, you would have a sequence where basically Reed is telling everyone that he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And usually he breaks out some all powerful gizmo that ends up doing something. And on the one hand, it's kind of a relief or intriguing to me to see that when you take Kirby out of the equation, the Stanley monomania that has made Reed such a ridiculous blistering know-it-all Reed doesn't necessarily take over the narrative. There's a point here where he whips out a special uh, gun. He says, all I want is a weapon and a beta ray that he then goes and shoots at Gabriel. And Lee, again, just not even being coherent from page to page. At one point, Reed's calling this a weapon. The next page, he's saying, you know, Reed's yelling to Gabriel, stop. We must talk to you. You know, it, it shows him firing in defense, you know, because Stan's well, putting he, words he, in his he mouth. Shoots, he shoots uh, Gabriel mm-hmm. and then says, uh, the battery doesn't work like that when they say that Gabriel's disappeared. But yeah. he never says what the battery is supposed to have done. Exactly. And it, it's never brought up again. It, it It is not a sequence. It's fascinating The it's... It's almost like there's a vestigial kind of that like, oh, I remember it's been a while since I've been here. It's supposed to be something that we're supposed to do. Like, you know, it. I think Reed should probably shoot Gabriel with a gizmo, you know, kind of thing. Again, there's there's a lot that's happening here. The whole sequence where all of a sudden, as soon as he shoots Gabriel, Gabriel disappears. Reed's bewildered. And then an enormous entire fucking boat is thrown at the FF. Nearly drowns them. No, just throw them. Throw them. It's thrown up and then it follows them. That's right. It chases them, which is a f- kind of a fun graphic. It's the sort of thing that you you happily well, it, see. It the... Would be a fun graphic if it lasted for more than two panels. Exactly. Exactly. It's like it's totally a fun cool. idea. Yeah, it's a fun big idea, but it just gets it because it's played off in four panels. And again, f- uh, four four panels on a six panel page, like. Basima is hauling ass. So you literally have a sequence where an enormous tidal wave hits and floods Manhattan. And it happens in the course of three panels again, without breaking the grid for any sort of emphasis whatsoever. So, you know, it, it, it just feels like maybe there is a, a, a more plotting going on here. And Basima is just having to jam it all in or again, Did you yes. not feel that these issues felt longer than 20 pages? Uh, yeah, definitely. These issues felt much longer, I thought. Mm-hmm. And not just because they're not enjoyable. Like, mm-hmm. a bad comic feels like it lasts longer than a good comic, obviously. Yeah. But th- they feel so much heavier with information mm-hmm. than a 20-page comic does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, sort of, not weightless information, but... But we did get through 120 very quickly, for example. And you can sum up 119 as Ben and Johnny go to, you know, fake African country and there's a jailbreak of, of T'Challa. Mm-hmm. And this issue 
ultimately is the FF one by one go up against Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Lose because Gabriel is just magically powerful mm-hmm. and, and, and has also every superpower that he needs to for the purposes of the story. Right. Before the Silver Surfer gets involved, because of course the Silver Surfer gets involved, even though he's never got involved with any other Fantastic Four adventure before this. There are, again, reasons that, that we'll get to. But uh, oh, it's only when the Silver Surfer gets involved that the uh, the Gabriel is revealed to be a robot. Right. Because he's an all-powerful robot who has magic powers, who's defeated everyone and convinced everyone that he's an angel. Right. And by the way, there's Galactus. And that's the issue. Yes. Like, there's not a lot of there, there, mm-hmm. but there's an awful lot of getting there. Right. That's a, that's a brilliant way to put it. Because there is, the, there. if you think about it, the pacing, I think what they should have should have done, at least so far, and we could, could go on, is as if issue 120 hadn't been all, hadn't been primed. Interestingly enough, it's fascinating the way in which in today, uh, when we gripe about deconstructed storytelling, how much the storytelling of, of these particular issues, so much is hinged on building to that last page and having the last page be momentous. When, if you think about it, (coughs) it really would have served the story much better. I mean, you have the silver surfer get involved on page 17. It's very easy from, of a 20 page story, you know, and it's very easy to think that, or 21, I think, cause they went that extra page for the full page reveal of Galactus at the end. You, you, I can see where you could have built an entire issue out of, you know, the Silver Surfer coming in at, when the FF are most in their moment of need and having a big battle between these two people. Or even having it where it's a chunk of this issue. But, you know, like I really would have had the Airwalker be half the sequences. He shows up, you know, the FF try and fight him and it's useless. And the Silver Surfer shows up at the end of that episode issue. But there's no way you can then end it with that big last page reveal of Gabriel being like, I'm Gabriel and hey, wonkahoo. You know, here you've got this whole sequence where the uh, Gabriel has all of these is built up to be such a thing and is literally an empty shell. I mean, he's a robot and he's a robot who loses his powers when you yank off his cape, you know, which slash wings, which it's like, how does that even work? I mean, you know, just that idea of that you're going to have someone's power source be in its thing. It's like, and, and he's a robot. Like everything about it is just this weird. I mean, you, also, now that we have the last page revelation of Galactus, who is behind Gabriel, as, as we are soon to discover, the whole idea that, that Gabriel, I mean, you can see in a, that the, whole, the only way Galactus' plan works is if clearly the last time he attacked Earth, he ended up spending the night in a Motel 6 opened up the dresser drawer. Oh, a free book. What's this? I will read it. Because 
how the fuck is Galactus going to know that the best way that the entire Earth will turn around and try and, like, give up the Fantastic Four and do whatever he wants and force the Silver Surfer into becoming his herald again is if they, he plays with their, you know, Christian iconography and they believe the end of the world is happening. You know, it's just really – the logic of that is yeah, amazing. None of, none of it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, at all. There mm-hmm. is no reason for it to have happened. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. There really is no reason for it to have happened. I mean, you just it by the time you get to to the reveal of oh, this is Galactus. Gabriel was a robot. You're like, oh, okay, this is built to a bigger thing, and yet it, but it makes no sense. Like Lee's, even by previous levels of like, oh, hey, this FF story. If you look too closely at it, it makes no sense. Here you get Lee being very much, I think, either I'm going to show them that I've got the chops. I'm going to show them that I can go big, kind of like the Overmind. I can bring this big sense of cosmic grandeur, you know, that's, it's, you know, who knows if people are actually at this point even attributing all of that to Kirby. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it by looking at anything in the press or anything, you know. Um, but it's, it's funny you mentioned the Overmind because does this not feel very close to the Overmind story? Absolutely. I mean, astonishingly close to the Overmind yeah. story to the point where you have everyone turn on the FF. Exactly. That seems to be the very explicit part of it that to me really run it. It's like, oh, okay. You know, Lee has some ideas. He's been telling people what makes for a good story for a good, compelling Marvel story. And here he is with the opportunity to actually bust out what those things are. And then they, as you can see, they don't really work. You know? Well, I feel like he's taking two swings at the same idea, uh, which is that a charismatic figure can turn you against your better nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting story and is arguably a story worth telling. Mm -hmm. But... I don't see what the Gabriel story does that the Overmind story doesn't, other than it then sets up, here's Galactus again. Well, there's here's Galactus again, but I think the big, arguably the biggest difference between the two is the Overmind is a character who's mentally controlling everyone. You know, the first set uh, of the Overmind story, he, everyone turns on the FF because the Overmind is manipulating everyone. It's not really done of their own free will. And so in that sense, it doesn't really strike that sort of what Lee's trying to get at. What Lee's trying to get at in the Gabriel issue, it makes it much more explicit, which is that, yeah, people will totally turn on each other and sell out their heroes if slash they're scared enough and or, uh, you know, their religious iconography is being used against them, you know? But I think in in this thing, at least, religious iconography is a red herring. Oh, it, it's totally a red I, herring. I, I, but... I feel like religious iconography is uh, – I don't, I, I don't even know ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, no, like I, I, I don't get the point of Gabriel and the horn thing. Uh, as a as a gimmick, as a gimmick, I think it's just very much this idea. It, it of, almost seems lazy. It, it seems lazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. It seems. Well, how do I put it? It's that weird conflation of laziness 
and quote unquote bigness. You know what I mean? It very much reminds me of, uh, in fact, these last two issues sort of remind me of, uh, do you remember that Daffy Duck cartoon where he's trying to pitch a movie to a bunch of Hollywood producers? And it starts off as the Scarlet Pimpernel. But essentially, they keep going like, and then what happens? And he's like, and then, then a volcano. And it's basically, he ends up destroying the world in this attempt to build it bigger and bigger and bigger because he's got nowhere to go. And that unfortunately. Galactus's appearance, it was that point for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like, I didn't know that Gabriel was, I mean, I had, I guess, a vague recollection, because I think I'd I'd first and only ever seen Gabriel before this in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Oh, wow. But, you know, so Gabriel appears, and and then he ends up being Herald of Galactus. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. But Galactus' appearance on the last page of this, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the moment where you're like, Stan really doesn't have a plan. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like Stan is just vamping. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he it's this weird like like you said, it's lazy, he's not paying attention. It is either he's vamping in a way, it's just him literally on the one end he's he's sort of overcompensating and just and trying to show that he's amazing and the progenitor of this stuff. You know, it's interesting to me that it is so important that he tries to come back with Galactus. Uh, but but I also wonder the extent to which it may just be, you know, uh, Kirby uh, Lee trying to build, you know, it's like Dr. Doom comes back every 10 issues. You know, Galactus is popular. We just keep bringing back Galactus. This is just a Galactus thing story. How do we make it bigger Oh, we'll make his herald be the angel Gabriel. You know, like it. It. it well, it's it's also funny because you have always had since Galactus and Silver Surfer appeared that Silver Surfer was the herald of God, and mm-hmm. the Galactus was God in Kirby's original plan. Exactly. And then you have like the angel Gabriel is actually the herald of Galactus. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost trying to one up that rumor. Exactly. Exactly. I, I express that very badly, but yeah, that's exactly the way that it, it comes off. Like he's kind of like, yeah, I'm okay. Sure. You know, I, I will redo this. And, you know, as if this was a, a hit people, he'd heard people talking about it and being like, Oh, you think that it was a mistake that we didn't do that here? I, I can do that. And they're like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, I've got it. I've got it under control. I find it fascinating to me that to jump into uh, issue 122, as we should. Uh, Galactus the... Unleashed. No, no, Graham. Oh, no, wait, I forget. You're always correct me when it's a it, the, the little if subhead it's a, if it's a leads into. Sentence. Yeah, if it's a run-on sentence for me, it's part of the, the title. Wow. And if it's not a run-on sentence, then it, it doesn't. Let me tell That's you. the rule, and I'm sticking with it. You're sticking with it, and you probably should. That The first two or three pages of this, just again for me being a weirdo, the storytelling uh, potential on page three, which really just isn't anything more than like Galactus is here. People are pissed off. We're going to begin the fight. You know, page three is the beginning of the fight. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, you've got staggered. You've got something. You're changing up the six to nine panel page grid. What a relief, John Basima. But then it rapidly moves back into six to nine panel grid action. And I have to say it is as someone who is a big proponent of the nine panel grid for its readability and the whole Watchmen thing, 
Basima's continuing reliance on it in these stories to make to to get all the story in, but to make big moments feel crazily small uh, is is a really interesting argument against it. I have to say, anyone anyone out there who's willing who wants to put together a case against the the nine panel grid uh, or even the six panel grid. This, these are times where it just does not feel a very appropriate set of uses, you know? Well, when Kirby did a six-panel grid, and he did a lot of six-panel grids. He did. And when, especially Gibbons does the nine-panel grid in Watchmen, mm-hmm. the page as a whole has a design element to it. Yeah. We made much about the fact that you can literally follow a line uh, through Kirby's pages. Mm-hmm. That each panel will lead on to each subsequent panel in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Gibbons is doing it in Watchmen, the page is designed as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have symmetry, you'll have balance. Right. Bushima does not have that when mm-hmm. he does these. Mm-hmm. He literally has six or nine identically shaped and sized pictures, mm-hmm. which are individual pictures mm-hmm. and do not necessarily work as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Actually, once you mention it, the the line transition f- across the pages on Basimas, at least on the stuff that I'm looking at here, it's, it's pretty minor. The, the transitions themselves are not, you know, the actual visual storytelling that's happening in each panel is great. And the, it makes sense as it moves from dramatic panel to dramatic panel, but you're absolutely right. The design through line, sometimes the lines that guide your eye across the page are so inessential and minor, like such afterthoughts well, but, in some but, cases. But also, if so look at page five in issue 22. Mm-hmm. Listeners, look at page five. Do it now. <laughs> Turn to page five. Bing! Um, you see, for example, the third panel where mm-hmm. you've got the surfer flying over Galactus. If you flip that, mm-hmm. then that then surfer's lines would lead into the next panel. Yeah. As it is, they are going against the eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. And he does that a lot. And it's it's again, it's a great panel. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually really nice staging. Yeah. But in terms of the design of the page, mm-hmm. it's completely jarring. Yeah. And and so he does that a lot. Again, uh, panel five on that page. If you because right now everything is going on a uh, top right to bottom left diagonal. Mm-hmm. If he flipped that, mm-hmm. and it was top left to bottom right, mm-hmm. you'd be leaving the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a good point, Graham. That is a really and, good and point. So, so that is that is one of the reasons why it's so uh, it doesn't work the same way that Kirby's did. His placement within the panel mm-hmm. is very professional in that you can tell what's going on in the story. Everything's very clear, and he's left enough space for the lettering. Mm-hmm. But. The the storytelling element, like Kirby would, Kirby would fuck up the professionalism of a page mm-hmm. to get the drama of the moment over. Yeah, well, to and get the drama of the moment, but he would. wouldn't mm-hmm. is, is the difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and as you point out, that there was, um, you know, like you said, Kirby Kirby's sense of design, Kirby's ability to to design those pages. But yeah, exactly. It would it would lead to some odd moments, but overall the flow worked. And instead, you sort of get the exact opposite with Basima, as you point out. Like all the little moments kind of work 
in their own little universe of the panel itself. But when you start stretching it out to the, the individual page unit, the page units themselves. So, so sort of the same way that you heard me quickly dismiss, uh, uh, the previous issues fight scene stuff. I have to say you've got a scene that involves a lot of surprisingly literal slugging it out with Galactus. You literally have uh, Ben like, you know, managed to judo throw him to the ground. And then uh, later in an amazing sequence, you've got, you've got the, an amusement park, more or less being torn torn apart by Galactus and the FF fighting, which involves at one point uh, Ben picking up an entire Ferris wheel and and more or less like braining Galactus with it. Yeah, clocking him on head with it. Yeah, which is with the greatest dialogue. Since you're so hipped in costumes, here's a new necktie you can wear. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is Galactus hipped in costumes? Like, I I literally didn't get that joke. I was like. Yeah, it's a fun line, but it, where does it come from? Yeah, it, it, there is no, there's absolutely nothing, nothing that uh, you know. It's 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 so so basically, you get a you get an issue that is mostly all fight. It's it's all well, it, okay. Them it's all fight, with out. the exception of uh, mm-hmm. the Surfer tries to get to Galactus' ship and fails because he is trapped on Earth. Yes, Reed then decides he is going to do it, and he does with some assistance from Sue. Yes. The issue ends with Reed essentially going, Galactus, got your ship. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I've, you know, uh, now the tables are turned. And I have to admit, in a way that is sort of, uh, how do I put it? It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's, it, it makes more quote unquote sense, I suppose that is like, Oh, if Galactus has a ship, he needs a ship. And therefore it's a stake that is in, that is in the situation as opposed to, you know, in the past it would be like, Oh, we got onto your ship and we've found something that can fuck you up with it, you know? And now the, the amazing, you know, with Kirby, it was always like, here's the next new thing. And this new thing, which you, which, in theory, shouldn't work in the narrative because it's weightless and it just seems like a MacGuffin works, you know. And yeah. here you've got a sequence that literally is much more nailed down into, uh, oh, hey, this makes sense if you're talking it out. And yet what's amazing to me is the way in which, in part because of the um, the the iconography of Galactus and maybe I'm conflating all my experiences of Galactus's interpretation that is – come sense but it's sort of the idea like that he needs a spaceship is super like underwhelming yeah exactly like there was always kind of a sense of like he used it in a way sort of the way that superman needed his fortress of solitude you know it's yeah, not yeah. really it his life more comfortable but it wasn't essential exactly so so when reed's here and and it's even so literal as to have him like gripping you know one he's a tiny figure on this majestic sort of cosmic steering wheel being like i'm going to take this all down it it is it's it's so literal as it's absurd and weirdly diminishing in this weird way it's just it's kind of fascinating it's 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 diminishing especially of galactus Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of diminishing of the Fantastic Four because they're used to being like, "I've got your car, 
Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. And and what you're really in- gonna mess with us? I've got your car. You're yeah, like, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This is the 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 cosmic grant drama that started. I mean, it, first it starts off with like the 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 arrival of the archangel angel Gabriel, supposedly, and it's basically even though it's supposed to go up higher and higher and it's like, oh, it's Galactus and drama and how are they going to fight him? It really has this thing of like, well, first they had a fist fight in Coney Island and yeah, then they took his car hostage and threatened to fuck it up unless he left. Well, the other thing is it's such a a reduction in stakes for Galactus Mm -hmm. because the first time it was the ultimate nullifier. They were willing to destroy all of reality. Yes. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, we'll fuck your car up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there, there is a. It's really interesting to me. Like I said, the only way to me in which these story, these things are interesting, apart from the occasional time where I'm like, oh, there's a nice panel, or man, Joe Sinnott sure draws attractive. You know, can ink out an attractive person. Uh, is uh, is okay, a, well, yes. <laughs> you're like speaking you're of attractive people. Let's move on to FF one twenty three. With Richard Nixon on the cover. I know. And he's talking into a phone. I just love that. This is the best. It was just because you got to have him doing something. But you know how it is. It's those weird like, you know, we, you see in comic book and cartoon things, that little iris where it's like you see one person talking on the phone and then there's supposed to be another person talking on the phone in a separate inside panel and you realize they're talking together. I just love that the height of drama includes not just Reed and the Silver Surfer engaging in what sort of crazy sex act that they're engaging in and the thing being having a gun pointed at him and like Sue trying to lift her hands above her head and uh, Agatha Harkness actually succeeding. But like you actually have Richard Nixon on the phone. It's just like all these amazing. It is so close to being like a Venture Brothers poster with so little changes. You just need just the most minimal amount of changes. And it's a satisfyingly hilarious Venture Brothers poster. So, yes, according to Graham's rules, which I'll now play by, the title of this story is Mr. Fantastic, leader of the fabulous FF, must answer to mankind for this world enslaved. So, uh, yeah, it's great. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of anything to say about this issue besides <laughs> like this. Even by the, the standards of the last three issues, yes. this is a drastic letdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really dramatically so. Mm-hmm. To the point where Reed's master plan is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And it's only re- reveals in the last two pages. It, it's... Uh, so the plot of this issue basically is um, Galactus loses the standoff with Reed over the spaceship. <laughs> he basically is like, strand me in Earth. I don't care. I'll eat Earth. Right. What are you going to do then? And Reed's like, I've got your spaceship, dude. Uh, what? What? You know, you want the spaceship? Uh, uh. Then Richard Nixon calls the FF and says to Sue, and Sue says, it's Reed. He has a plan. I'll put you through to him on his bell phone. And Reed's like, I've got a plan, Mr. President. I hope you're recording this. And then Galactus gives in, says, sure, I'll take the spaceship, and leaves thinking that the Silver Surfer is going to follow him. Mm-hmm. Reed says, no, Silver Surfer, you don't need to follow him. It's fine. Silver Surfer's like, fuck you. I'm going to attack you. Reed is then, for, again, no real reason, shot by the army. Yeah. And then healed by Silver Surfer while Ben Grimm takes on the army. 
because mm-hmm. again you've got to have action sequences even if it makes no fucking sense yeah. when reed awakens he says it's okay you guys i reprogrammed galactus spaceship so now he's in the negative zone uh the end okay true there's some delirious stuff. First, let's face it, I, I, you know, there isn't really a lot of time to spend on this issue, which sadly seems to be my ongoing slogan mantra for this particular uh, podcast episode. But I think that it's hilarious that Reed Richards at one point is talking to the president but into his crotch. Just the idea that he's got his, it's a belt, but you see him looking down. And I'm like, wow, he's talking to Richard Nixon by basically speaking it into his crotch. There's, there's some awesome action. And then what, later. What is with Stanley and Nixon? I don't know, because but Stanley, it's an Stanley, obsession. Like Stanley particularly has something. He's trying to do political satire. I think he is. I think because he is. Because he has uh, Nixon say, woman, if it isn't Mitchell's wife. Yes, uh, and then he also says, "I'll call a meeting." Former committee Kissinger says, and then he yes. gets cut off. Like yeah. Lee's trying to do something. Yeah, he and I is feel that because, like, I was not around in 1972. I'm missing the nuance. Uh, I, you but, know, like, I quite tell what he was trying to do. I I have this weird suspicion that I I think that he was trying to appear relevant, and, and it's one of those things where at first I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like Nixon is the first president to whom you know Lee actually knows that the the his youth hates. And he himself personally doesn't like. But the fact is, when you look at this stuff, like you said, it's just satire. It's just, I sort of wonder if people were doing, if like Nixon imitations were just in, like on Laugh-In or whatever. And so, you know, Lee's like, sure. It's It doesn't seem, it seems absolutely as toothless as... Uh, as it seems. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what's the name of that like celebrity imitator back then who was not especially good but was just everywhere? It's – you know, I, I want to say Buddy Rich or later it would be somebody like Fred Travelina or somebody like that. But I, I – Buddy Rich <laughs> is a jazz drummer. I've never heard of. <laughs> well, Buddy Rich is a jazz drummer. It's not him, but I just – I know that ah, it was some dude – it's He's got Rich in the name. Hold on. Rich celebrity in, in, impersonator. Rich Little? No. Rich Little. Yeah, Rich Little was – he was known – he basically did his Nixon imitation on through like 86 or 87 because it was good enough and, and popular enough. But yeah, Rich Little. It's basically at that caliber and yet – I mean it's – there's another sequence where Reed is like quickly I must – you know, he he basically masters – Agatha Harkness's spellcasting powers so that he can talk to Nixon directly so that Nixon can then get on the phone and basically get the army to stand down, you know, and then everyone, everyone in the world gets to understand uh, Reed Richards has managed to basically get uh, to trick Galactus into going into the negative zone where there are countless worlds enough to sustain him for ages so that he will never return. Um, um, by and, never, we mean like a year or something. Probably. We mean a year, but there's still kind of this weird, it's this, again. It's it, the weirdest thing because A, aren't there people on those worlds? Has exactly. Not just gone, it's not my problem. But also, mm-hmm. and this is totally me being anal, how did he get to the negative zone? Yeah. It was my understanding negative zone was like alt like antimatter universe, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Reed makes it sound like basically if you just fly far enough yeah. in one direction, you yeah. get to the negative zone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it just it it was. I adjusted them, take them to the negative zone. I have to say, I honestly thought that in the spirit of oh, I fucked up his car. It was like no, I sent Galactus. He's stuck on a one way ship to nowhere kind of deal. But then they sort of like dressed it up, made it seem a little more noble. But yeah, it's the it is. It's this weird. At one point, you know, in the issue where the Silver Surfer, because there's been multiple points where Silver Surfer is like, okay, okay, I'll be your your herald, and. The Reed is like, no, he's absolutely adamant that like essentially nothing. He's got a speech and I hope in this issue, uh, will we never learn the history, a lesson of history? Not even survival is worth the cost of abject surrender. There can only be peace through goodwill, not the sacrifice of another. And I'm like, unless they're in the negative zone, in which case, yeah, the sacrifice of another is more or less okay. Yeah. Basically. Well, but again, it's not a sacrifice. He's literally just doomed them. Yes. Galactus would not otherwise get to the negative zone. Yeah. Yeah. It it is. Reed Richards, you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but but what is uh, interesting is that despite that, like despite Reed having a very uh, philosophically dark mm-hmm. solution to his problem, um. This is a really dull issue. Like, everything we've been saying yeah. before about the Bashem art is true. It's still, it's like, individually, individual panels may be great, but mm-hmm. it's, it's ultimately undynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee's scripting is desperately grasping for, for ambition and for scope mm-hmm. and failing. And the whole thing is just devoid of, of intensity. Yeah, there there was a point and where he tries to throw everything in. I mean, oh, absolutely! Have, mm-hmm. Like a train is thrown by Galactus against the army. You have Reed's getting shot by the army. You have the thing taking on the army as a result, and all of it yeah. is dull. Yeah, and and again, it's it part of it is the the scope at which it's because it's all being just jammed together. Uh, and, and part of it really is a little bit of the reading this. I, it reminded me of like an interview, I think with, uh, Harlan Ellison, where he was talking about, um, doing some sort of consultant work. I, I think Ellison had written a, a pitch for what was going to become Star Trek, the motion picture. And in the course of talking about his pitch, which was this whole big blah, blah, blah. Um, he said, he's like the, He's like, yeah, and then my idea got shot down by Gene Roddenberry, uh, who wanted to go with his idea. And, and and he basically, Ellison's like, Gene Roddenberry only has one idea, which is basically that, you know, the Enterprise go out into the universe to discover God, and God is a mad child, you know. And it kind of made me think that there is this element with Stan Lee where he kind of only has the one button that he pushes and it, it it really comes out with it really gets underlined when the silver surfer is involved that lee seems to think the area which everyone told him he was a great writer for the galactus silver surfer stuff is the fact that he it was where he pushed that button that people are jerks uh and and are basically mad animals that will kill you but when will mankind understand that we, you know, like you said, that brother and sister should treat one another like brother and sister, you know, kind of deal. The scene in which Reed gets brought back from the point of death by the Silver Surfer and the Power Cosmic is such a non-land. 
sort of the same way that the army attacking Ben Grimm is, in part because it's just Stan Lee saying what Stan Lee has said every time he gets a chance to get up here. And and really, the it's fascinating to me how rarely I thought of the Silver Surfer uh, run by Lee and Basima, considering... The, these issues have Lee and Basima in doing the Silver Surfer in them, but because that was like this big page mag, um, mm-hmm. you know, where where Basima did in theory was trying to do bigger panels and bigger, breathier storytelling, and instead it gets ratcheted down to super, super tight, tiny panels here. Um, I just didn't even make the link, but. But at least my memory of most of those issues was always this horrible kind of bathos point that seems to be the one Stanley story that Stanley feels comfortable enough or or that is his big story. Um, it does. He, he brings there's nothing really new to this whole run of Galactus stuff other than. It's really terrible and dull, which is not the sort of stuff that you could yeah, say. It's, it's it is the Gabriel thing feels very much like the Overmind mm-hmm. uh, storyline, which is is like less than a year ago mm-hmm. in terms of publishing history. Um, and then the Galactus thing feels like it adds absolutely nothing to Galactus, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. fact, it feels like it reduces Galactus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, significantly, immensely, yeah. Um, and and so like this four four issue story it feels like an amazing misstep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it 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 does. And yet the next two issues are the two issues that made me think, oh, Stan just had to leave Fantastic Four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. Because the next two, at least with Galactus, there's this idea of like, oh, I can see why this happened. But the 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 next two issues. Uh, and let's start in on 124 very quickly. The fabulous FFI mystery and deadly dangers they face, the return of the monster, uh, is the fact that they brought it's back actually, that, the story that, yeah, the story that no one wanted, the return of the monster from the Lost Lagoon. It's amazing. Like, I remember us reading and talking about this Kirby issue and us being like, and me being very much like, well, my fondness for it really seems to be the way in which it sort of foreshadows what Kirby's later obsessions at DC and when he later returns to Marvel. Uh, and so it's fascinating that something that I would not have thought Lee was paying any attention to, Lee brings back for two issues. Two issues. Two issues, again, where the story just doesn't come together at all. The plot of these two issues, because we really should do them together, because it's an incredibly slight plot. I think so. Is that Reed basically collapses as a result of exhaustion stemming from what he's just been through at the opening of the issue. They take him to hospital. When they're in the hospital, it turns out there is a monster who is stealing drugs. He not only steals drugs, he steals Sue. Yes. And so Johnny and Ben go after him. It turns out to be the monster from the Lost Lagoon. He fights Johnny and Ben and then Reed, who has woken up and is kind of nuts, kind mm-hmm. of delirious. Then Reed, of course, comes to his senses because it's a Stanley story where Reed Richards is in it. So, of course, he will figure everything out. Yes. Even though there is no way whatsoever that he could do that. There is no. He makes a logical leap that is not illogical. Mm-hmm. Utterly. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that he. The monster wasn't kidnapping Sue. He just needed Sue to give his uh, monster bride 
the medicine that he was stealing, and then they go back to space. The end. Yes, the end. That honestly, first of all, sounds like a one-issue story. Yeah. That he somehow manages to stretch into two. Mm-hmm. But also, who really wanted to see the monster again? Mm-hmm. It struck me more than anything else as Stan going, I've got to try and get this Kirby magic back. Yeah. What, what can I do? Or, or again, to me, a little bit of a usurpation to me. Like, I feel like sort of in the same way that, like, Kirby's gone and Lee's like, see, guys, Galactus is mine. Even the whole, like, Galactus is God and his herald is the herald of God. That whole misunderstanding, that was my misunderstanding. I'm literally putting that into the text. This creature from the Lost Lagoon thing, that was my story. It wasn't Kirby's story. It was mine. Why? Because I'm bringing this character back and I'm basically more or less retelling this story and I'm going to stretch it out to two issues. Exactly. I retell the story slower. Yes. And so that it makes even less sense. Exactly. Time, there's not even a lagoon. <laughs> there isn't. There's not a lagoon. There's just – there's one point where uh, – and I just – you know, we were – it, it kind of wasn't worth the hassle, but there's a point where uh, in retelling the story, part of the way, hilariously enough, that Lee manages to stretch out this out to two issues is literally by having Reed is out of commission. Johnny and Ben, despite having seen and fought the creature of the Lost Lagoon, more or less don't recognize him and can't remember him and more and have to go through their old files and have an extended flashback sequence of the previous issue in which he appeared in order to be like, oh, right, the creature from the Lost Lagoon. We should see if she's in that lake. You know, is this amazing time kill? Amazing time kill. There's there's just so much space that is is wasted trying to make this stuff look just to hit the page count. But also, yeah, I mean, again, there's that thing of it's all jammed with events. It's just the majority of it is is really meaningless. It's it, it the, there is no point. And oh, so at one point when they're recounting the story of the creature of the lost lagoon, they I think maybe it's Reed or Johnny mentions the fact that he was there because he needed supplies for his ship which ran on water. And and so there's that point where I'm like his ship didn't run on water. That's not he wasn't stocking it up with water like Ah, like it was just this weird, like, oh, here's the here's the little twist, and I'm like, not only is that twist inaccurate, it's really silly. If he was, if all he needed to repair a ship was water, why was he destroying the cargo ships? As the whole yeah. point of the story, I mean, so it's weird. It's really a two issue. Stanley being like, no, no, this is my story. He misunderstands it, and he and he. Talk about bringing nothing new to it, which is fascinating because it, it's it's just it's a, a staggering misfire. These two issues. There's three things in issue 124 that I want to draw your attention to. Mm, please. In reverse order, page mm. 19. Yeah. Panel one. Why is why did they use like an, a blown up stat of the thing? What is yeah. what else was happening in that? Panel? What was happening like, there is really, that they cut out? It's really yeah. obvious. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's really really obvious. Mm-hmm. That something has changed. Thing number two, which is a general thing throughout the issue, uh, Bushima, for this issue and the next issue, and never again, draws the Human Torch in a different way. Yes. So his hair shows up, but he's he's, uh, the Human Torch. Mm -hmm. And it looks great. I have to say, it does. It does. And I I wish that it had continued. 
like it, it, it appears with no no explanation. Mm-hmm. It disappears with just as little explanation. Mm-hmm. But it's great. I really, really love it. I think, and honestly, I think the explanation is just as simple as honestly. Basima likes drawing hair. He's and he's good at it. And so he's like, let's put hair on the Human Torch, you know. And and like you said. It really does work in a way that I haven't liked it when it's popped up in in other sequences by other artists. But yeah, no, he he could have sold it. It's a shame that it doesn't it happen again. And yeah, then did take you... five. And thing number three mm-hmm. is on page six. Yes, where Stanley shows that he is an, or Jumbashema, whoever shows that they have no idea how walls work. <laughs> yes, replace fixes a hole in a wall. By grabbing the two <laughs> either ends of the hole and just pulling them together. Yeah. Walls aren't curtains, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's told you this. It actually is news to me, but no, I... That, that shouldn't work. Yeah. Of all the crazy, like, but that's not right things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of crazy that's not right things. Yeah, that one in particular is staggeringly obvious. It really is. And again, there's almost a deal. Every once in a while, you'd have Kirby do something that was so crazy, like uh, Lee would figure out a way to like cover it up or lampshade it, or, or even or just make or make yeah, make a joke out of it. Make a joke out of it. Cap, exactly. Cap, where he'd be like, "I know this isn't the way it works, true believers, but you know, Jolly Jack just loved drawing it." Yeah. You know? Right. Exactly. There's none of that here. He literally just fixes a hole in a wall mm-hmm. by pulling the two sides of the wall together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's – so these two issues are really – it's fascinating. I really – it is such a why do these even exist kind of thing that is is the area. There's – I mean, again, Basima and Sinnet, the storytelling is, you know – dramatic panel by panel and therefore in a way i find it's really such a shame that you don't have situations where basima gets a chance to to sort of blow his storytelling up because like the the scenes where like as as silly a forced form of cliffhanger as it is you know basically at the end of uh 124 sue prize the the rock that is covering the the mouth of the cave in which she's trapped and ends up you know uncovering a deluge from the nearby lake and the cave fills up and she's basically like oh my god i'm drowning i'm drowning the last page panel in which she looks like she's drowning is pretty fucking intense i mean it really both of those shots are some excellent acting i mean it's the most illogical and contrived situation you can imagine and then some well but... I, I, and the solution of it even more so oh yeah oh yeah is where just... she she goes oh, i forgot water has oxygen in it I'll yes take oxygen from the water and make myself a bubble an invisible bubble of air yeah 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 exactly exactly you know i i could I could almost, I could almost see it in a weirdo, like, oh, I can do, like, my force, I have such control over my force field that I can literally make it porous enough to separate the air from the hydrogen. But no, you know, but, but well, no, as it, that, like, she could literally just be like, I'll make my shields big enough so it's literally just surrounding me and then I'll grow it out mm-hmm. just to keep the water out at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I would, I would have bought that even, mm-hmm. but no. 
they actually she actually goes no Every, even water contains an amount of oxygen <laughs> i'm just like it's in their uh, pockets and you're like what oh it is it is rough it is so rough oh but, but no you're right uh, you know the beshema art beshema art is very pretty yeah and interestingly enough the scene in 125 page 8 where mm-hmm. reed wakes up and he's in shadow mm-hmm. and it's very non Fantastic Four. Oh, that is so uh, funny because yes, mm-hmm. it is. It's gorgeous that that close up shot of his of his eye opening that is just yeah. fabulous. I mean, it looks it looks like Bernie Wrightson or something like that. You it, know, it, just... it, it it looks like for three panels, you know, a, a great romance comic has accidentally just kidnapped the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. Just... Absolutely, and and but so it's it's you know the art is is again individually panelly pretty, mm-hmm. but. It contains the same problems of of being undynamic that 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 it has for the rest of this run. Yeah, but the story is just a mess. I mean, a terrible, terrible. Mess. I'm I'm fascinated by the way in which you get to the last page, which ends more or less like the previous ish, appearance of the monster did. You know, without really much awareness, and uh, and it with Reed giving some sort of you know. The Stanley moment of us all being brothers and et cetera. Uh, and the next, the, the little call out box for the next issue says next, a new beginning. And I have to say the number of times that I've seen that in Marvel comics in the seventies where shit has just fallen apart, you know, it's the number of times where you've got the, Oh, it's a new beginning. Like, this book is in shambles and tatters. Like it, it happened with my yeah, beloved it, Skull it, the Slayer at least twice it, in it like feels, eight issues. It feels very much where they're like, we understand that this is not good anymore. Yeah. There's just this desperate you plea. Were, of, you guys were starting over. Yeah. Yeah. Come back. It will be different. You know, we're, we're and, and so it is, it's, it <laughs> exit, exit Stan Lee in tatters. You know, it's uh... it's true. His his last issues, his last run in this book, are not kind to him. No, they're really not. I understand why he he came back, mm-hmm. and I understand why he thought he was doing, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. not yeah. not good, Jeff. Not good. Agreed. Agreed. Well, uh, so are we breezing through one twenty six or no? I I'm thought that, say, that was on I'm our list. Say let's leave- it was on the list. I'm going to say let's leave it to next time. I think uh, that's a great idea. One, it works, it's we've run long already. Mm-hmm. And two, it's the first issue of the, the Roy Thomas run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that we might as well do it with the other Roy Thomas issues. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I was impressed when you picked it because on the one hand, it's uh, it's sort of the first part of a two-parter, even though it is kind of a little bit of a um, – it's such a prologue issue too, so – Mm. Uh, but yeah, well, it's, it's. I mean, uh, spoilers, people. Uh, it's essentially a, a redo of the first issue. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a recap. It's a recap issue. It's a recap issue. But um, but I still sort of want the time to sort of jump in and look at it because I, no, I, I, yeah, I I think we should pick it apart. But I think yeah. picking it apart in light of what follows mm-hmm. is it's going to be more productive. I think so as well. Okay, right, people. Mm-hmm. Ned's time. On Baxter Building. Uh, we will be doing 126 through, what do you think, 132? Let's end it with 132. Okay, fabulous. Okay, 126 to 132. 126 through 132. Uh, and we're heading into, if nothing else, the new costume for the Human Torch era. 
Oh yeah. Mm. It, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's coming down the pike. I don't know about these issues. So I'm, I'm kind of, I read 126 and I have to admit, I jumped ahead to 127 and, and part of me was like, well, let's see what, let's see what happens farther down the pike. But, uh, but that's for next time. Graham, do you uh, want to start rounding everything up for this time? I shall do. First of all, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We are doing show notes for these episodes at waitwhatpodcast.com. We also do written posts, even though Jeff and I are both behind on doing written posts right now. But I swear we will catch up. We also do posts on the Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are on Twitter at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff is on Twitter solo at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at at Graham M at G R A E M E M. I forgot how to spell my own Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm very tired this morning. Um, and we are also a Patreon supported podcast. In fact, the Baxter Building episodes are purely existing because of the Patreon. Uh, and this is where Mr. Jeffrey Lester steps in. Oh, yes, because I would also like to pass on our thanks in that regard to the uh, crew over at the American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for uh, her support. And our thanks to all 118 members on Patreon who uh, are keeping us going strong and for which we are uh, ridiculously grateful. So Graham, is that, is it? <laughs> no, just, just when you said, so I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, no, that's, we're done. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be back in a month with another Baxter building episode where we'll do 126 through uh, 132. That's right. Jeff, you can sing us out. Oh yes. We will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.